0: My name is James. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, James. Hey, James. It's been a great roundup so far. <laughs> you familiar with Smart Water here in Minnesota? Yeah. I brought some Smart Water. Hope it helps you with my talk. <laughs> I get sidetracked sometimes, so I drink some of this. The first time somebody gave me this, one of my sponsees gave me a bottle of this, and I couldn't get the lid open. <laughs> it was—it's a, a really tricky lid. I guess you have to drink it first. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, uh, how many people here tonight have sponsees? All right, fantastic. How many people here tonight have sponsees who are with them here tonight? Notice my hand is up. I brought one of my sponsees from California with me. I don't like to leave home without him. <laughs> fantastic. A little while ago, I went to a conference, and uh, I had a problem with a plane connection. And uh, I didn't know if I was going to make it to the conference, kind of what's happening with Adam. But he's, he'll be okay because it's tomorrow. But this was on the, I was going to speak on the day that I was flying. And uh, I called my host to ask him what I should do. I was, uh, I, I was in fear, didn't know what to do. And he said, uh, read page 449 and go to a meeting. I knew I was in good hands. (laughs) I'm in good hands, too, because Nellie's been showing me around in my sponsee, Steve. So I felt like I've really been in good hands here in Duluth. So I've only been talking for like a minute, maybe two, and maybe I've said the two most important things that I'm going to say. If you want to stay sober, have sponsees. That's what the book says. Nothing so much ensures immunity from drinking as active work, intensive work with other alcoholics. And if you have a problem, there's a spiritual solution. So I'm going to go another hour or so, but I wanted to get those two things out of the way in case, in case you stop listening before I stop talking. So <laughs> I got to thinking about this smart water, and I thought it would be really a good idea. I used to be in advertising a long, long time ago. It would be a really good idea if you could go into the liquor store and buy some smart whiskey. I loved uh, I loved having uh, some whiskey and uh, trying to solve my problems and, you know, taking a lot of notes and then trying to read them the next day. But the problem is that liquor or whiskey is not labeled properly. So when you go into the liquor store, you don't know what you're going to get. You might get some of that, uh, you might get smart whiskey. That's possible, I guess. Or you might get some of that... Uh, Conviviality with friends or colorful imagination. You may get some of that stuff. Or you may get some of that dialing whiskey. You ever had that? <laughs> well, it's about it's about four in the morning and you're just dialing people that don't want to hear from you. <laughs> you ever have any of that traveling whiskey? You have to get up and uh, look at a newspaper to see where you are. I thought it was a girl. I really did. I mean, I... You know, I, was, I really did. I was very drunk. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. That's kind of a fifth-step story. But um, <laughs> but what happened for me is, is I started getting things like um, quicksand whiskey and uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde whiskey and rapacious creditor whiskey and it had a, could have had the skull and crossbones on it whiskey. And then I had to drink a lot of that stuff called uh, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. So that's kind of my drinking. That kind of covers my drinking. Never knew what I was going to get. But more and more towards the end, it was not colorful imagination with friends. So, but I, that's, you know, drinking isn't my only problem. I've got a problem called thinking as well. I don't know if you've seen the 20 questions for drinking. Have you ever asked the 20 questions for thinking? Is thinking causing you problems at home? You you uh, like to think alone? Right. I'm driving down the street having this argument with about three other people, and I look around, and I'm the only one in the car. And... uh I like something that Einstein says he says none of your current problems can be solved by the thinking that created them. I created my problems as a result of my thinking. I cannot fix my problems as a result of my thinking. And what I've learned in AA is to not spend time thinking about things that thinking's not going to help. So, but I need help. So, I have a sponsor. I'm on my second sponsor now. My first I had a woman sponsor to start with. I didn't know that was uh, potentially uh, controversial, but I had a woman sponsor, and I'll tell you how I found her later on. But uh, her name was Donna. And she died when I had uh, 18 years of sobriety. And uh, the last thing I remember Donna saying to me is, sobriety is no fun when you can't breathe. She was a really heavy smoker. So let's all take a deep breath in, in memory of Donna and the fact that we're, we're, we're here breathing and we have this wonderful gift of sobriety. So... Bring ourselves present here. So, there's a there's a saying in AA: be nice to the newcomer; he may be your sponsor someday. So, I was nice to Jack when he was new, and now he's my sponsor. And Jack, he retired recently uh, as an air traffic controller, and I retired recently from the I, taught, I was a teacher in a prison, and it was called the Department of Corrections. So, corrections and control. Jack and I have issues. So. <laughs> But I heard a good, outside of a meeting a little while ago, I heard a, a, a good reason to have a sponsor. Because somebody was asking this, this guy that he appeared to be relatively new uh, what his sobriety date was. And he said, which one? And uh, that was already a clue. He said, I, I got out of prison about three years ago, so my sobriety date for meth is, is three years. I have three years off meth. And I quit pot about six months ago. So my sobriety day from marijuana six months ago, and uh, I celebrated yesterday. I celebrated ninety days without drinking, but I had a beer last night, so I guess I have eighty-nine days today. So it's called newcomer math. So I only have one sobriety day. It's the first one I've ever had, and it's the only one I've ever had. And uh, it's said in, around here that if uh, either you change or your sobriety date will. So I'm here to share with you how I've changed, because my sobriety day has not changed. It's December the 6th, 1982, and uh, it's the last time I smoked marijuana. Thank you. I'm I'm coming up on 33 years. And uh, clapping for an alcoholic who quits drinking is like clapping for a cowboy with hemorrhoids who stops riding his horse. So thank you for that recognition there. I was smoking marijuana because I had determined myself that uh, I I was having a problem with alcohol. I'm not sure if I wanted to quit drinking or not, but I wanted to quit having the consequences of drinking. And so I didn't didn't really know how to quit drinking because I hadn't found you yet. So what I decided that I would do is I would smoke pot because my problem, according to me, was alcohol. So as long as I wasn't drinking, I thought that I would be okay. So I quit drinking. I tried, you know, thousands of times, like most of us have, to quit drinking. But this one time, uh, because of the availability of shopping bags full of marijuana, because I was a grower, I love this theme. <laughs> um, I'm quite a good gardener, I must say. <clears throat> so I quit drinking. And I smoked non-addictive marijuana before I got out of bed in the morning for about a year or so. And uh, during that time, my sister came to AA. And she invited me, and she encouraged me to come. She knew what my drinking was like, and I kept reminding her that I was not drinking. I was putting a lot of Visine in my eyes when I saw her. But I finally ended up in AA as a visitor. I actually introduced myself as an existentialist. Um, I was not an alcoholic. I, ha- I hadn't even had a drink for, I don't know, a year maybe. So I'm in AA as a visitor, guest, and uh, I'm listening. I-, I could hear what you, I was able to listen. I didn't agree with a lot of things, but I heard what you were saying. And I went to meetings, and, and you know, I could ask myself the question, if you're not an alcoholic, why do you keep going to those meetings? And what I know now that I didn't know then is there was something very powerful going on in the rooms of AA that was very attractive to me. Uh, and it was, I felt love. I felt love here. And I, my head was telling me, don't, this is crazy. Don't, don't do this. This is nuts. You don't need this. But my heart kept bringing me back, or my feet kept bringing me back. And I kept coming back, I kept coming. And what happened for me is I caught this damn disease from you guys. It's like... Alcoholism is contagious. And I caught it from you. I remember when I finally raised my hand and said I was an alcoholic, and someone said, oh, it's finally unanimous. <laughs> I mean, everybody, everybody else knew. There's a, there's a speaker named Fa- Father Terry who says you can't change something you can't name. You have to know what the name is in order to do something about it. And I knew that I was damaged goods. There was something really wrong with me. I, I used to like to buy a carton of Marlboro, a <laughs> bottle of scotch, and a self-help book, and just try to try to figure out what was wrong with me. It's like, you know, there was such a disconnect between what I thought about myself and, and, and where my life ended up. And I know now there's a word for that. It's called alcoholism. I have alcoholism. I didn't ask for it, I didn't want it, but I have it. And I'm here tonight to treat my alcoholism. I need you way more than you need me. I remember saying early on, this, oh, this AA is a bunch of brainwashing. And I thought, you know, my, my brain needs a good scrub. <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm going to meetings and somebody says, uh, you have an allergy to alcohol and you have to go to meetings for the rest of your life. I got to thinking about that and said, my dad had an allergy to bananas. He never went to a meeting in his life. (laughs) There is no such thing as BA. (laughs) But what I know is that bananas did not do for my father what alcohol did for me. Bananas didn't talk to him. He got a rash from them and he quit eating them. I get these rashes from alcohol. I just keep drinking it. So it's a very different thing. So I mentioned that my sobriety date is uh, do we have, uh, when I last smoked marijuana. Do, do we have any other marijuana smokers here? That's a trick question. It's ex-marijuana smokers. Okay? We don't smoke, a, we don't smoke marijuana in AA. We don't do that. It's a mind-altering chemical. But I started hearing all these stories about people, that what people did to control their drinking, other things that they tried. Or, um, I know a guy whose sobriety days the last time he did Freon. I mean, that's got to be really nasty. But I sponsor a guy. You can't make this up. He he went to Amway one time to help him control his drinking. Yeah, he thought it would, no, that would help his drinking. Now, some people get divorced and get help their drinking, or they get married to help their drinking, or they go in the army to help their drinking, or they go to Oprah, or they go to Chopra. Or, you know, we do all kinds of things. And then, hopefully, we end up in AA. So I'm going to AA, and I start meeting these characters. And I'm thinking, how in the world are these people going to help me? There's a guy named Boxcar Bill, and uh, Dumpster Don, and uh, Swat Team Ron, Booger John, Machine Gun Tony. A lot of the names have kind of weapons involved with them for some reason. Shotgun Nancy. P-Bed Ed. Inappropriate Dave. Dave, that's inappropriate. Oh, Dave, don't, don't say that. So all these people, and I, oh, well, yeah, maybe they can help me. So I'm going to meetings, and uh, I'm not doing much else. Just going to meetings. And this guy, this old timer, you know you know how they are. They he comes up and he kind of pokes me in the chest. I was a 39 year old bachelor at the time. I wasn't a kid. And he said, uh, You're working the steps, boy. And I said, I don't really like your 12 commandments. You, are you reading the book? I said, No, no, I don't even know, Mr. Brown. I'm not reading the book. Are you praying? Nah, I don't really believe in God. Are you meditating? Nah, my head's too busy for that. And then he asked me the kicker. He says, well, how's it going? <laughs> it wasn't going very well. It wasn't doing good. Because all I was doing was coming to the meetings. And as I see it, my experience, and I think a lot of other people see there's only a window of time between putting down the drink and putting down the drugs and starting to work this program, and I was coming to the place where I was very close to the to the end of being able to hold it together myself and then I looked at this how it works that part of what was read today, and i started i asked myself i wonder I wonder if I have the skill set to do this am i not am I clever enough, but am i uh, can I do this? And then uh, the first thing is, okay, um, I have to thoroughly follow a path. I got to thinking about my drinking. Well, I know how to follow a path. I had a rut going between me and the liquor store. i mowed a lot of lawns in my day. And when you walk on a lawn, it pops right back up again. If you look behind you, you can't even see your footsteps. In order to create a path, you have to go over that lawn over and over and over hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, and you create a path. So I know how to create a path because I've done it before in my drinking. And this is something about um, people who do not recover or people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the symbol program. Well, I completely gave myself to alcohol. I know how to do that. That shouldn't be too hard. And this is something about being honest. I think, oh... That's a tough one, because I had lied to myself for so long, I really wasn't able to tell the truth from, I believe, my own stuff in my head. And I don't remember ever reading a book to explain to me how to be honest. But I could hear it in your voice. When you shared about yourself, I knew you were telling the truth about yourself. And I believed that I could learn how to do that by watching you do it. So I said, okay, I can learn how to be honest. Then it says something about, um, what else does it say? Half measures avail us nothing, it says. And what does that mean? Well, as I understand it, it means quitting drinking and not working the steps. So only doing half of what we need to do. As alcoholics, we need to do two things. We need to quit drinking, and we need to work the steps. Then it says something about getting rid of our old ideas, and I I didn't know that I had old ideas, but I knew that the ideas that I had were killing me. I needed to change my mind. And it's, not a, it's more than a bumper sticker to say, change your mind, change your life. And I needed to do that. Then it says something about, uh, without help, it's too much. I understood that. If I get in the ring with alcohol, put your money on alcohol. Don't put your money on me, because alcohol is going to kick my ass. That's what it does. So I think, I need help. I cannot beat this by myself. Then it says something about finding God. I'm like, oh, does it have to come to that? I studied philosophy in college. And, uh, again, one of my old ideas. I had some ideas about that. And uh, they were not serving me well. And then it says something about going to any lengths. And I thought... That one bothered me because I wasn't sure what that was going to mean. Are you going to splash water on my face? Are you going to have me go to the airport and hand out a literature in a white robe? I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I just had these crazy thoughts in my head. But I think I know what it means. I know what it means today for me. It means today I will go to any lengths to not have a drink today. Today's the day that counts, and I'm not going to take a drink today. So I. And I also knew that i have been to I was a bar drinker, and I never went into a bar and watched somebody else drink and think that i'm going to cop a buzz off of it. I knew you had to drink it yourself to, to have it to get the buzz, and that's kind of what AA is too i can't watch you be sober and it's going to rub off on me i've got to do it myself so with all this kind of reflection, I was ready to to just to start doing something, but I wasn't too sure what. And what ended up happening for me is I went to a, a counselor. His name was Howard. And uh, he was a, he's a member of AA, but he also had a family practice. And for the first time that I could ever recall, I told somebody else the truth about me. I'd never done that before. I'd gone to shrinks and psychiatrists and stuff, but I always lied to them. I heard somebody say that hey, people in AA really ought to go to veterinarians instead of psychiatrists because veterinarians always have to guess what's wrong with their patients, you know, because we never never say, but I told Howard the truth, I cried, snot ran down my face, and my drinking, I've characterized it, I've described my drinking as being sleazy and secretive, I had this, I'm in the book, if you're new, find yourself in that book, I'm in that book all over that book. But the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the one kind of personality here and the other kind of personality here, and the two of them don't get together, that was very me. I wore a tie in the daytime, and I had these sleazy places I went to at night. So I was very secretive, and I pushed people away from me. So after an hour of being in Howard's office, he got out a piece of paper, and he wrote, prescription at the top, get on your knees and pray. And I paid him $50 for that. It was like a... $50 $50 fifth step, I guess. Uh, no fourth step, but it was, it was you know, uh, I did that. And I think for some reason I was going to, I started to do that. It's like the, the menu is not the meal. And the map is not the journey. And the prescription is not the medicine. Okay, this, this how it works is like the menu or more like the map. But I have to take the journey. And I started to take the journey by asking God that I didn't believe in to help me. I said, God, what do you want me to do and give me the power to do it, which is what the literature says. And, and at night I'd say thank you for another day of sobriety. And through Howard, I got a phone number of a woman, Donna, and I called Donna and asked her to be my sponsor. I'd never met her before, never seen her before, knew nothing about her. And she agreed to do that as long as I would go to four meetings a week writing a journal and work the steps with her and then see her once a week and share my journal. And I started to do that. And about that same time, I bought a new car. I had an uh, alcoholic truck prior to that. Seen those? I didn't look in the parking lot too carefully, but usually there's one at an AA club. It's uh, Windshield's cracked. Uh, springs are coming through the upholstery. Tires are bald. Uh, doors are a different panel. You know, the panel's are a different color. Uh, somebody else's tags are on the back. A lot, of ru- <laughs> a lot of rust on it and a lot of bumps, a lot of drunk bumps on it. And uh, this truck was so ugly that I, uh, I hadn't had a date in about five years because I would not have wanted to go out with any woman to get in that truck with me. That's how bad it was. <laughs> so I was really lonely, and I bought this nice new sports car. And I call this my sobriety car, because it was really a gift uh, for starting to get my life on track again. And so I started to go to a lot of meetings. I was trolling. Uh, I didn't know how lonely I was until I stopped being so lonely. But um, I don't know if anybody's planning on using AA as a dating service, but I will say this about it. That the, the, uh, the odds are very good, but the goods are very odd. So, it was one of my, this was one of my early, uh, I guess you could call it a, a little bit of a miniature spiritual awakening where I had this realization that I was doing a lot of things that didn't make a lot of sense to me that I really didn't believe in and that my life was getting a lot better. So it started to give me some encouragement uh, and some hope of me being able to change. So I launched out on this, uh, on doing what you did, and uh, I went back to step one. And I looked back over my life, and it was real clear to me that when I took a drink, I couldn't stop, and when I wasn't doing that, I didn't—I forgot that, which is really what alcoholism is. And I had done an experiment. I didn't want to be alcoholic, so I had—I did this experiments to prove to myself that I wasn't an alcoholic. And so I thought, okay, I didn't even know what an alcoholic was. But an alcoholic could not not drink for 30 days. I know that for a fact. If a person is alcoholic, they couldn't not drink for 30 days. So I decided to do that. So I didn't drink for 30 days. And I had a glass of wine to celebrate not drinking for 30 days um, at lunchtime. And I was in jail at midnight that night. And I thought that that was proof that I wasn't alcoholic it turned out it's proof I am alcoholic so I you know I had it completely backwards that's a real good sign of being alcoholic so that's kind of the first part of step 1 but I call it step 1 part b that because I did not understand that I was power, that I didn't have the power over alcohol my life became unmanageable so I could see clearly that I was a very poor manager of my own life because I didn't understand what powerless over alcohol meant. And what I've come to understand about it now is that that I'm not in charge. I need a new manager. My life looks pretty good today because I'm not trying to manage it. I've got a new manager. And for sake of simplicity, in AA we call that manager God. One of the things that I do... To remind myself that I'm not in management is I don't ask the question, why? Why is a management question? I'm in footwork. So the question that I ask myself is, what am I going to do about it? I used to get really hung up on things like, you know, why am I alcoholic? Not a good question. It's asking for an argument with God. The question I ask is, what am I going to do about it? And I ask that in all questions rather than why questions. it really suits me well. And a visual that I like to remind myself that I'm not in management is that I'm at a circus and I got a bucket and a shovel and I'm not in charge of how many elephants are in the parade. Okay, I just, I just do what my job is. I'm not in charge of that stuff. Because, and what I also found out is that when I Fight reality when, I, when I'm not accepting something that's going on, I lose, but only a hundred percent of the time, so I, I make a real effort to not fight that, not fight reality and the, the, in the, mess, in the, in the biggest thing I could fight or the most obvious thing I could fight is being an alcoholic. I accept that, and then I can move on when I do that. so I'm at step two already. Only been in AA for probably nine months by now. Moving right along. And we all have crazy stories of stuff we've done when we're drinking. I'm sure we go around the room, everybody's got a crazy story. At least one. Two, maybe. Ten. But I realized that the craziest thing I ever did, I did sober. I picked up another drink. For a guy like me to pick up a drink is crazy. So I'm insane. I need to be restored to sanity. Uh, I mentioned that I worked in the prison system for quite a while. I, I worked as a teacher. I taught landscaping. Back to our theme again here. Pot grower teaching landscaping in a prison. God's got a sense of humor, I can assure you. <laughs> and I got the job doing H&I at, at uh, Folsom Prison, and which you've probably heard of out here. Um, so anyway, I asked my students in this prison where I worked, and I had the same student for quite a while usually. They didn't turn over that fast. I had like... <laughs> A lot, of, yeah. a lot of them were there for quite a while. Um, maybe out of 30, maybe 20 of I them mean, committed murder, and maybe the rest were drug addicts and burglars and that kind of stuff. Um, but I asked them if they'd ever heard of AA. And as you can well imagine, most of them had. And then I asked them some more questions. I said, have you ever had a sponsor in AA? Have you ever worked the steps in AA? Have you ever had a service commitment in AA? Have you ever had more than a year of sobriety in AA? And in 15 years, probably 25 guys answered yes to all those questions. I ask them one more question. What are you doing in prison? You know what the answer was? Everybody knows what the answer was. They stopped going to meetings. So the way that I see it is, if you stop going to meetings, you go crazy. Because you have to go crazy first to have a drink if you've been restored to sanity. So I go to meetings so I won't go crazy and I get to see what happens to people that don't go to the meetings. They go crazy. So I'm already up at step three and I go to my sponsor and say, that's about as far as I can go. I don't, I don't believe in God still. And uh, I said, AA is just full of these, these silly contradictions. It doesn't make any sense. I was trying to make sense out of it. And uh, she said, what are you talking about? I said, well... You know, you you, uh, you go to the meeting and on the wall there, there's, there's a sign that says, think, think, think. And you look in the book, it says, the problem of the alcoholics in his mind. I don't think that's a good idea. Or someone says, you have to surrender to win. Tell that to your military friends. Give it away to keep it. am sure the bank managers would like to hear that. <laughs> Recovered, recovering, taking a trip, not taking a trip. Um. Someone will say, uh, keep it simple, stupid. This isn't rocket science. Someone else says, yeah, it's way more complicated than that. Or someone says, "Uh, don't make any major decisions in the first year. I said, I think quitting drinking is a pretty major decision. (laughs) Or if if you don't remember your last drink, you haven't had it. The book says, you can't remember the misery and suffering of a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we're not bad people trying to get good. We're sick people trying to get well. Why do we have to do a moral inventory? People with cancer don't do moral inventories. Oh, I'm so glad it's only suggestions. How come there's a hundred musts in the book? Oh, don't, you, don't worry. You just hurt yourself. Well, how come I have to make so many amends? Uh, don't uh, don't get in a relationship the first year. But get a sponsor and tell them all your shit. Don't make any major decisions in the first year. But turn your will and your life over to the care of God. That's a major decision. My favorite one is half measures avail us nothing. You'd be amazed before you're halfway through. So So I go to my sponsor I'm telling her all this. And she says, how how about you? You got any contradictions in your life? Mm. I thought back of a time, not that, not that distant future, in the past rather where I had just graduated from UCLA and I took this trip to Europe and somebody had loaned me $200, a friend of mine, and they, they, they wired me the money. I was out of money and I asked them and they wired it to me. I was in Germany someplace. And I got the money, I like got noon, and I woke up the next morning and it was gone. And $200 in the 60s was a lot of money. I don't know what happened, but all the money was gone. And that's a little bit of a disconnect from, from the life that I thought I was living. I thought I was just traveling through Europe. I was actually homeless. That night, I went into a mission, and I got sprayed with all this lice spray and stuff. And I still had 10 more years of drinking. And there's a line in the literature about, in a lot of ways, we're normal, except when it comes to alcohol. And I thought, you know, I've never gone into a grocery store and say, hey, can I buy everybody a loaf of bread? <laughs> but I was doing that. I was always a big shot when I was drinking. So what I decided, and this for step three, this was key to me, is I focused on that word decision. I made a decision to try to stop changing AA and let AA change me. And I made a decision to work steps four through nine. I still had a very unclear concept of this power, and, uh, I was praying to the power, but I wasn't really chumming with the power, but I was able to take step three to move forward and say, okay, I'm going to work this program. I'm going to believe that you're not all lying to me at the same time and that my life will get better when I do the things that you said that you did. And I see, I can look back at it and I see, it's a lot like, uh, it's all like gravity, gravity, uh, doesn't just let some people down. Gravity lets everybody down. And AA, these principles, spiritual in nature, work for everybody that works them. It's not that I got lucky and they work for me and they won't work for you. They work for everybody who works them. So our job is just to get willing enough to do it. And so I got to that point where I was willing to do that. So I got out a piece of paper. And uh, I, I have a bad memory and, and my wife calls it purposeful forgetting. But I can barely remember being in high school. And I don't want to remember, I guess. I don't know what it is. And I didn't think I had a lot of resentments. But I, I knew I had a lot of hate in my heart for my father. I hated him. And uh, I spent years not even talking to him. And... He was an alcoholic. So anyway, I, uh, I, started, I put his name at the top of a paper, and I started to write about the hurt that I felt. And I started to cry. And I called my sister, and I called in to work. I couldn't work that day. and I just cried and talked and cried. And, and something happened that day. Those tears just washed away that, that anger that I had towards him. And I could see how spiritually sick he was from where he came from. And uh, it, my relationship healed that day. It's, it's the weirdest thing. And the, the, the literature says something about that. And uh, my fears list, I, I had uh, God and women on my fears list, which is two two key relationships in my life. And that if they're based on fear, they can't be good relationships. And then all my secrets were around my sexual inventory. And, I, and then I went and did my fifth step with my sponsor. It was kind of a rainy day in November when I did it. And uh, we drove out into the country where I used to raise uh, pot. And um, (laughs) she saw a lot of trash along the side of the road. It must have been the day that you put the garbage cans by the street and it gets picked up, and maybe some dogs had gotten into it or not. But she was talking about having to change her focus because she was focused on this trash. And I do my fifth step, and uh, we're driving back to her house, and there's a rainbow. It just touched me deeply that... That I had, my, my life to me was like a garbage can. And I tipped this garbage can out. And I just, I felt wonderful. And the book talks about that. On page 75, there's some wonderful promises that happen when we do a fifth step. And it's like, why did I wait so long to do it? Because I just felt a closeness to my creator. And I felt that I was a solid member of AA. Like, I was doing what you were doing. Like, I'm a member and the fifth step was crucial to me, so I go to do six and seven. In the meantime, this this, uh, this sobriety car thing worked out really well. I go to a meeting, and this woman says, "You want to step outside and I'll see if I can work you into my story?" And uh, I end up getting married to her. <laughs> and, you know, I take her. Our idea of a date when we go to a meeting, and uh, I'd take her home, and I didn't know whether to kiss her or say the Lord's prayer. You know, but we got married, and uh, I had about two years of sobriety at the time, and she had a couple of children, so uh, I got to be a father and a husband on the same day, and she had, uh, her sister had children nearby, so I got to be a father and an uncle and a husband on the same day, and I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. Just prior to getting sober, I was living on this property, and my best thinking was to put barbed wire around the outside of it to protect my marijuana from the teenagers in the neighborhood. And I had a case of vitamin C and some brewer's yeast, and I was just going to drink and smoke myself to death, but be healthy when I was doing it. And I realized much later that the worst punishment we have in America Is solitary confinement. That's the worst thing we do to anybody in this country. And I was doing that to myself. In my disease, that's where I ended up. And now I'm getting sober. I'm working this program. And I'm a husband and a father and an uncle. And I don't know how to do it. But I'm doing six and seven. And what I find out is that I'm a fault finder. That you're not going to do it right. I'm going to point it out to you because I know all the internationally accepted standards way of doing things. And then you're going to, I'm going to push you out of my life in the, so I can drink the way that I like to drink. And that doesn't work when, you're, when you have those relationships. And uh, I wanted so much to be better at it. And one of the problems was that nobody knew how to do the dishes properly. So I thought, well, what's the solution to this? I thought, well, I'll start doing the dishes. So, I would get to the the sink, and I would i didn 't want to do the dishes angrily. I wanted to do the dishes peacefully and i 'd stand at the sink until I could get peaceful enough to just do the dishes doing the dishes is very spiritual when you 're just doing the dishes um, and then Angela, my seven two seven when I became her stepdad she her, she starts off saying well you 're not the boss of me and she had a Dalmatian, which is like a dog from hell, and uh, just couldn't be trained. And I'd be driving home from work, and I'd get, I could see myself getting madder and madder and madder as I got closer to home, knowing that I'd have to step over that stuff when I got home. Sometimes I'd turn around and go back to my sponsor's house and just say, just step over it. And I, I, what I started to do with Angela is I started to treat her like a newcomer, like you treated me. Like, be kind to her, encourage her, uh, don't, don't criticize her all the time. The very things that you did to me, be loving and kind and supportive. And I started writing her notes telling her how happy I was to be her, her stepdad. And uh, the relationship just started to get a whole lot better. And many years later, she asked me to walk her down the aisle. I'm the stepdad. And her father was at the wedding, and he thanked me for raising his daughter. You taught me how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm a fault finder. I push people away. I learned how to do that by treating her the way you treated me. Thank you for that. You taught me how to do that. Uh, So, And I got to pay for that wedding, too. I got to write the checks for that wedding. (laughs) I had a good job. And I went to work every day. I was thankful for that. Uh, I made a list, eight. I moved around a lot. I was sober a couple years before I realized you could move in the daytime. <laughs> so a lot of people, I, you know, I was drinking, they were drinking. I mean, I, I'm more than willing to make amends uh, wherever possible. Uh, but the, when I got to nine, the, the main damage I did was to my mother and my father. I have two sisters, but I didn't. I don't think I did uh, any detrimental things to them that that I required you know formal uh, nine step work on, but my father definitely, and uh, many years later, I invited my father to come and live with us. He moved into our house, and uh, I had a lot of love in my heart for him he hadn 't changed, but I had a lot of love for him. He was there about thirty days, and somebody said something he didn 't like, and he said i 'm out of here and he left. He was a fault finder. He's buried someplace about fifty or sixty miles from here, I think. A lonely man who died by himself. My mother, um, she died when I had five years of sobriety, and uh, I was able to be a good son. You taught me how to do that. I thank you for that. In my, in the, but the amends that that touch me the most were a couple of financial amends. One was for $5 and one was for $10. Not a lot of money. The, the $10 one, I had, uh, I used to go to this restaurant. I was, a, I was the secretary of the step study meeting. Went to this restaurant at lunchtime and I got $10 too much in change one day. And I thought, well, if you can't count, it's not my job to tell you. And I put it in my pocket. But I felt badly about it. We were probably on step nine at the meeting. And a couple weeks later, the woman came up who owned the place and said she was selling it. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to make this amend, I need to do it today.